Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with ambitious women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and moving through life in the modern world. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to the show. Welcome if this is your first time. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. I have a big smile on my face because I just interviewed our guest today, and I've been doing this a lot lately. I don't know if you know this about the show, but we tend to record these conversations a few weeks out, if not sometimes even a couple months out, just depending on the flow of of the lineup and the the topics and all of the things. But um, the most recent conversations, we just hit record and then I've done the intro and put them out right away. So it's been really fluid and that's essentially what's happening with this one. So my energy is super high right now because my guest is awesome. You're going to love her. I have Lisa Sutton Williams on the show today and we talk about so many things. Truly, after we finished recording, we were we were talking just one-on-one and I was like, Lisa, I feel like we should just hit record again and have a second interview or a second second conversation or a third conversation um, and just keep putting these episodes out because there's just, there were so many things that we talked about in our time together, but there were just so many other things that we could have expanded on in in just her line of work, my line of work, um, but truly just her perspective on on things since she is the guest, obviously, but this is also a conversation. So we, you know how it is. If you've listened to the show, we just get going and we go down rabbit holes and all these things. Um, so she will definitely be coming back on. But for now, I hope you, I hope you just really enjoy getting to know her. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Lisa is a LMFT, LCSW, and certified intuitive eating counselor. Lisa is also the founder of Intentional Connections Counseling, LLC, where she specializes in anxiety, life transitions, intuitive eating, and embodiment. She is also a certified EMDR therapist. Lisa strives to help clients create a more balanced relationship with food, mind, and body. She's awesome. We talk all about her body image story. We talk about how she essentially got out of diet culture. We explained what diet culture is in our conversation and spoiler alert, it's all around us. So Lisa was really generous with giving her personal real life examples with diet culture, but also just professionally speaking where diet culture impacts most of us on a regular basis so that you can begin to identify this yourself. Uh, She talks all about how she found intuitive eating and her personal entry point into intuitive eating. So basically how she got started um, in healing her relationship with food and also how that impacted her life when she really adopted this some of these principles and just this practice of healing and making peace with food and her body. Um, And I really appreciate her vulnerability in sharing this because it is tricky. And when we're navigating diet culture and it is impacting so much of our life in terms of just our relationships and our communities and all of these things, it can be, it can be a little uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable when, uh, when we can, when we start, having to set boundaries around food talk and body talk and really from that place of self-care, which she talks all about in her personal story. Um, I was really, really grateful that she, that she shared so vulnerably here. And then one of the pieces that we explored in this conversation too is race in diet culture, as well as diet culture's oppressive roots and how that relates to racism and her viewpoint on this, how this shaped her own experience this past year in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, the social justice movement, all of these things 
in this past year. Um, and I mentioned to her before, I said this in the interview too, but I mentioned to Lisa before the conversation, I got her permission about asking some really vulnerable questions for myself that I've just been having around how I can show up more and contribute more as as somebody, as a human being on this planet doing this work, who's committed to doing social justice work, but also somebody in this space of intuitive eating in my industry, in our industry, what role I can play more powerfully. And so we talk a lot about that. And, and I'm so grateful that she was willing to hold space for me in asking some of these harder questions and give really honest feedback as well too. Um, I learned a lot and I hope that you'll take away a lot as well too from this part in the conversation. And then we talk about social media. She's a mental health professional. And so I absolutely wanted her take on social media and how we can use it for, um, for good and how we can set boundaries around it and also build a healthy relationship with us, uh, with each of us, if we do, do choose to be on it. Um, and self-compassion, what that is, why it's important, how to practice more of it. It's a really juicy conversation. I hope you enjoy um, starting to like become spring in San Diego, which I know is <laughs> even just saying that out loud. I know so many people are cringing and just like rolling their eyes and thinking like, ah, it's snowing here and all those things. So I, I totally get it. I lived in Philadelphia for a long time. It's one of the reasons why I moved to San Diego because I had really bad seasonal depression. Um, and I'm really sensitive to the seasons changing. Anyways, I'm going off on a tangent and I wanted to share this because spring is coming and the seasons are changing. It's going to get lighter soon. Um, I don't know if you can feel it, but from just like an energetic perspective on the way that things are slowly beginning to open up and the vaccine coming to more and more people, we're just turning a corner. And I, I know it's, God, it's just been such a, crazy and emotional and frustrating past year and also powerful too. I think it's, you know, with the bad, there came a lot of good as well too, which we'll have to do another podcast episode on, but wherever you are right now, I hope that you are able to lean into some of these changes in those moments of really really just deep grief or fear or frustration or wherever feel the feelings. And also I hope that you can also see this glimmer of light with me in everything that's shifting as well too. And that being said, um, uh, just celebrating all of this with this conversation with Lisa. So here it is. I hope you enjoy and I hope you have a great week. Lisa Sutton Williams. Hi, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you for being here. Hello, hello. Thanks for inviting me and kind of welcome me to the space. Yes, all the way from Kentucky. All the way from Kentucky. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's just get right into it because I have a feeling this is going to be a super rich and robust conversation. And I already have so many questions that I'm dying to ask you, and I can't wait to hear your story. So, are you cool if we just jump right in? Absolutely. Okay. So the first question that we ask everybody on the show is your first body awareness moment. So do you mind sharing what that moment looked like for you and also how that shaped your relationship with your body and food growing up? Yeah. So my first kind of awareness with my body might be similar to some people, might be completely different, but it wasn't just my body it was my race as well. So it's very difficult to separate those two. Um, but for me, it was noticing that I was in a black body in a lot of white spaces, um, which wasn't a problem necessarily, but that's when I first noticed I was, was different. Um, I was a gymnast from a very early age and I did gymnastics for like 10 years, loved every bit of it. But in going into that space, I realized like, hey, I am like the only black person here. And then in addition to that, I was also the muscular person. 
everybody else who was in my gymnastics team was mostly thin bodied white people. And I just noticed like, Hey, I don't look like them. And I don't actually do some of the same things that they do. Um, so that was kind of my, my first awareness. Now, nothing necessarily came negative from that. Like I had a great, wonderful um, gymnastics coach who never said anything about my body or losing weight or gaining weight or anything like that. So I had a really good experience um, in that respect. So that was okay, but that was my first kind of realization of like, hey, I'm different on multiple levels. Mm. Um, moving on from there, it was more a high school area kind of noticing like, hey, people are talking about what they did and didn't eat. Should I be doing that as well? Because I wasn't, I was fine. I ate fine. Um, you know, my parents didn't tell me like, eat this or don't eat this. You need to go on a diet. Like I didn't have that childhood experience that some people might have, but I did notice that my classmates were talking about how much weight they needed to lose or how they were cutting out this particular food group because they were so fat. And I remember kind of connecting that with noticing like, Hey, I don't think you're big. And at that time, fat in quotes was bad. And I was like, so if they think that they're fat or that's bad, then something must be wrong with my body too. So I should probably start eliminating these foods or trying to make my body smaller. And so from there, it has continued for, goodness, I'm going to say at least 17 years, mm. easily, easily 17 to 20 years I have been trying to change my body and specifically to make it smaller. Mm. Damn. <laughs> I can so, I mean, I can relate to the concept of wanting to change your body for 17 plus years. I actually think that most people listening to this podcast can. Um, yeah. And it, you know, what's so crazy about that too, is that it's, it's such a double-edged sword. There's so much fr frustration and there's so much just discomfort and preoccupation with wanting to change our body, yet it still bonds us and keeps us together. And it creates this really false sense of community in a really warped way as well, too. Did you, did you ever find that for yourself? Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. That's where I connected with people. It's like, Oh, you're doing this particular diet. So am I awesome. We can connect in this way. We can talk about our food tracking and our eliminations and how much weight we've lost and it'll be great. And that's where a lot of my community was for the vast majority of my life leading up to my intuitive eating journey. And that was something I had to desperately grieve going through my intuitive eating journey um, process because I love to work out. I love to move my body and I've done that for a long time, but I also did that being super disordered in my eating in my quest to become smaller. And so a lot of my friendships were at my gym because we were eating the same ways. We were working out six plus days a week, super high intensity. And those were the people I surrounded myself with and they're great people. But now that I am on a different path with just intuitive eating, I have to find different ways to connect with them. And it is so, so challenging, especially when you see your friends who are still engulfed in diet culture talking about, you know, I'm on this new whatever diet. And I think something that like recently came out was like intuitive fasting. And I'm laughing because oh I'm like, gosh, <laughs> I'm like, you old dang anything and turn it into a diet, like just stop. Mm -hmm. But just knowing that I have, have friends and really good friends who are still, still in diet culture. And I can't be mad at them per se, because I was a very short time ago. Um, mm -hmm. but it's just really hard to connect, but I definitely fell within that disordered eating category as well as kind of orthorexia because I didn't go out to eat. I would make sure that the place that I went, I could only eat this, this, and this. And then I would have so much anxiety about going out to places that I just stopped going if I didn't know how they were preparing the food. And so that was ostracizing, but I also had my people doing the same thing. So they completely got it. 
and they totally understood. And I was like, oh, great. I've got people. And I'm not, I'm not the one who's like out on a limb here. Everybody knows what I'm doing. And I was always the fit one. And you're, oh, you're so good. You're doing such a great job. I could never have that much self-discipline, not realizing I was in the full throes of an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Were you counseling at this time too, or was this before you opened your practice? No, I have been a clinician for 14 years. Mm-hmm. So I have always done things with anxiety, depression, trauma, all of that has always been in my practice. So yeah, I was totally dieting mm-hmm. um, while I was, while I was doing my practice. Um, so that was, that was not new. It is now, but yeah, I was, was a therapist and I'm pretty sure I probably told someone, Hey, maybe you could try this particular diet and these mm. particular foods that might help you feel better, completely unaware of what I was doing. I know there are therapists out there that are still doing that. And it makes me so sad that I was one of those, but I have yeah. to acknowledge, you know, uh, yeah, this is where a major dose of self-compassion is essential. I was telling somebody the other day that I was just going through, oh, I'm like cringing as I'm telling you this story. I was going, going through content that I had written while I was, um, you know, coaching and in my business full time. And this was a couple of years ago. And I was just cringing on the floor, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I was writing and telling people to do this. And, you know, just very, very disordered messages and things like that. And it's at the same time, it's like, and, and we learn and we grow and, you know, we got to get rid of that perfection where, where we can and just keep moving forward. And, understand that we're really all trying to do the best that we can with the information that we have and, and be compassionate in that process too. So I totally relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I want to go back in your story if it's okay before we move forward, because I already have so many questions. Um, you mentioned, so you mentioned your first body awareness moment was being in gymnastics. I was a gymnast too. Was this when the magnificent seven was a thing for you? Yes. And slightly and before, cause I am probably a lot older than you, but it was a little before that. So I'm a, I'm a Dominique Dawes era. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was too bad. Dominique Dawes. Yes. Carrie Strug, Shannon Miller. <laughs> her so badly, but yeah. And yeah. so seeing it helped because there were some different bodies and I was like, okay, Maybe this isn't as bad as I thought, but it was different. Definitely. Well, so I'm curious for you, be acknowledging that race is playing a role from a very young age for yourself at the same time doing something that you love. It sounds like it it was a big part of your life. How did you internalize that? And also, did you, were you having conversations with anybody at this time, getting more information about this this feeling that you were experiencing? Is it something that you were discussing with your family or were you acknowledging it with your gymnastics team or were you just internalizing it and trying to figure it out on your own at that point? Oh goodness. No, it was all internalized. Hmm. Every bit of it because it was just, you know, the, the space that I was in, that's just what it was. And I was mainly used to that in the other areas of my life anyway, being in certain classes in school during doing certain trips. Like I was one of the only, or one of a couple more times than not. So it wasn't completely out of the norm for me. So I was like, Oh, this is just looks like, or what it's going to look like from now until whenever. Um, So it wasn't anything I really had a conversation about because I think my parents wanted me to have some more opportunities and oftentimes allowing me to have more opportunities, put me in more white spaces that's so interesting I mean it's and it's also like it, it's just it's so crazy so were your parents having any conversations like this when you were growing up in terms of just how to talk about race and cultural differences and um was there any conversation like that at all in your family growing up or were you were you able to have conversations like that with anybody even through high school 
Yeah. And those conversations were, I guess, easier for me and, and my family to have only because my family is very multicultural. So like my godparents are white and I've, they've been in my life since I was like three minutes old. Um, so that was never a real thing for me. So I just thought everybody was in spaces with people that looked different. So it wasn't really an issue until I was the only somewhere, which has played into all kinds of body image issues and worth issues and much more so in intuitive eating as well. It's just come up more and more and more noticing that I'm not like everyone else. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So I, I want to weave this back in as I learn more about your story, but I'm curious, um, how did you find intuitive eating? You, you said that you were starting, you opened your practice and you were working as a therapist, correct? Yes. Okay. So how did you get to that place where you found intuitive eating for yourself? It's a wonderful podcast that I'm sure everybody knows about. It's Christy Harrison. <laughs> you're, on, you're only the 40th person who's mentioned it on this show. <laughs> it was just, and it was so, it was so random. I had actually, I played roller derby for a little bit and I broke my ankle over the summer and I was at home doing nothing. And I happened upon a random podcast and I was like, what is this? And so I listened to it and I was like, mm, yeah, no, that's not right. But I listened to another one. And then I got so engulfed, I like organized all of the podcast by title and subject. And I just dove in. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which ones are most prevalent to me? So I started with like orthorexia ones, um, being in black bodies, um, fitness culture. I started with all of those because they were me. And I was like, let's see if this has anything to do with me at all. And I was just blown away. And I just dove head first. And I was like, I have to tell everyone about this. Mm. So as I was listening to those podcasts, I was like, can I, how do I learn more? How do I take in more knowledge? What else can I do? And that's when I started my um, certified intuitive eating counselor training. Lisa, do you remember some of I know this was a while ago, but do you remember some of those light bulb moments that you were having at the time when you were listening, what was triggering you? And also what were some of the concepts that you were learning that really resonated that stand out to you today? If diets worked, I wouldn't be doing them all the time. Mm. <laughs> I was just like, wait, what? Oh my goodness. You're totally right. If I, even in my therapy practice, if I told someone, Hey, I want to give you this medicine, or I want you to go to the psychiatrist and get this medicine for anxiety. But mind you, it only works around 5% of the time. Do you want to do this one? Mm -hmm. They probably be like, no, I'm sure you can give me something that's at least 50% effective. And I just thought about that. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what have I been doing with my life for all these years? And then I became so sad that I've wasted years worrying about my body or how much I weigh. Cause that was, that was a really, really tough thing for me. I was a chronic weigher mm -hmm. like every morning, but my husband and my best friend, they knew if I weighed myself that morning, that determines my day. Yeah. Oh, it was so heavy, but noticing these, these podcasts and saying, Hey, like the, you're not the issue. The diet is cause they don't work. It was like, mind-blowing and to think I had never ever thought that way before was just like I've wasted so much time but there's so much more time ahead of me to share this story you know to share this information yeah absolutely what were some of the things that you did in your intuitive eating journey I I love intuitive eating so much because for everybody who is listening and not entirely familiar with intuitive eating there's 10 principles that this is really founded on. So it's awesome because it's not like step one and then step two, intuitive eating really meets you where you're at in your own life. And so for you, what were, what were some of the first principles that were the entry point into doing this work? Mine were pretty much in order because I knew I had to reject that diet mentality first mm. because if I didn't, it, it would just come back in at a later date and I'd be like, okay, and I need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. 
and <laughs> I'm not feeling good or I'm going on a trip. So I need to lose weight. Those were the kinds of like policing in my mind, as well as like, well, trips coming up, you need to be smaller. A wedding's coming up. You need to be smaller. So I had to reject that diet mentality first and foremost. Otherwise, nothing else was probably going to happen for me. How did you make peace with that? I often find that this is, I mean, it's really hard to move forward and, and get sustainable results without doing this. And at the same time, so much of our diet mentality is wrapped up in that thin ideal and that desire for a smaller body or for the fantasy of weight loss or anything related to that. So how did you make peace with the body that you were in begin that beginning that at least and beginning to, how did you begin to let go of just the ideal of weight loss and become comfortable with that? Yeah, it's, it was definitely, and still is a process. Mm -hmm. Um, but I definitely did some work on my own, but I also did the intuitive eating workbook, which is one of my favorite things ever Mm -hmm. because it allows you to see where you started and how long ago that was just to see the cycle of dieting and how much that has infiltrated your life. Like how much time you've spent doing this that you could have spent doing something else. And so that's where I started. And I thought that was just a wonderful way for me to kind of get into everything intuitive eating. Um, I then started following people that were doing different stuff Mm -hmm. that were on an intuitive eating journey. You know, we're doing, gentle nutrition and body positivity, embodiment. And I just started following that and kind of changing up um, my feed, which is what I tell a lot of my clients. I'm like, Hey, if this is something you're thinking about, let's notice what you're taking in because some of that is still diet culture. If you're seeing a lot of these before and afters in your feed, that's probably not making you feel good about yourself or wanting or, or helping you to want to change how you're doing things right now and not be engulfed in diet culture. So I had to change up my feed because it was, it was heavy in the before and afters and the fitness realm, because I said, I love to work out. So it was a lot of, a lot of CrossFitters, Mm -hmm. which that's their job. So it's a little different, but that was still my goal. And so I couldn't look at that anymore in the beginnings. Cause I was like, that's, I don't know if that's ever attainable for me, or maybe it is, but it just requires me dieting. And I'm not doing that anymore. I want to be free from that. Yeah. How did you, how did you cope with breaking up with that community essentially? Because I know I've actually never done CrossFit myself, but from what I've heard from clients and just people in my life, um, I know the CrossFit community is really, really tight knit. And so how did you take care of yourself when you made that decision to, to walk away from it? And, and what was the process like for you? Well, I am not actually a CrossFitter. They are just, they were back then, like people I looked at, like, wow, look at that. What? Got it. It was like goals. It was like body goals, like hashtag body goals. Like that's what it was for me. So I wasn't within that community per se, but it's a lot of people that I follow just because I thought they were the pinnacle of fitness and what a body in quotes should look like at its optimal performance. Interesting. Yeah. And that makes sense. And I also think that I'm, I'm glad that you said that because I think that a lot of people get caught up in that as well too, because, you know, whether it's, it's CrossFit or training for something, I had a a conversation with a podcast guest recently about like bikini competitions back in the day and things like that. There's so much messaging about these tight knit communities that are marketed to people who aspire to be in those communities without actually ever having to step foot into them. Yeah. So I, I totally understand what you mean about that. What about your friends circle then? I, I, I'm just getting the sense that the, the environment that you were in at the time when you were discovering intuitive eating was really diet focused. And so what were some of the ways that you were possibly changing conversations or removing yourself from friendships or just navigating that part of your life? What, what did that look like? Well, it was, it was really, really tricky um, because everybody that I was around was still very much in diet culture. So being around them was very triggering initially, 
because yeah. I wasn't fully in, you know, intuitive eating. So there would be moments like, no, you don't need to eat that particular type of food. Like that's bad quotes. That's good quotes, you know? Um, so I had to kind of distance myself a little bit because I knew if I was around those particular people too frequently, it could very likely pull me back in. Even though I got all this information and I knew it was wonderful and it was life-changing, I think it could have pulled me back in. Um, so some of that I had to distance myself. And then when I am around certain people and I became more comfortable, I just, you know, they were asking me what I was doing and I would tell them what was going on. And they would ask, well, what is that? And they, of course, this is a thing that often comes with intuitive eating. I'm sure you've heard it on here. Well, isn't that just an excuse to eat what you want, whatever you want, whenever you want. And like, oh, <laughs> no, not what that is, because that's not intuitive. But hey, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, so giving those messages and putting little nuggets out every now and then um, to let them know the different kind of journey I was on. But again, that was really, that was tricky as well, because I don't want to become the person who is like forcing something else, then I become just like diet culture, yes. you know, like, Oh, do this. Oh, do this diet. Do that. Oh, you'd love keto. You'd love this. You do this. I just tell them what I do and, and say it's working for me. And I like how my body feels. That's it. Not, you have to do it too. It's just what I'm doing right now. And it's working for me. I hope what you're doing is working for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, I actually would love your opinion on this because I, where I have trouble sometimes with the intuitive eating movement is a lot of counselors and coaches and people just practicing intuitive eating are making that transition from diet culture. And we're just naturally programmed to make things into a diet because it's just something that we've become so used to and we've lived it for so long. And so I think that there's a fine line between just eating intuitively and practicing intuitive eating in terms of like the rigidity around it and the rules and, and even like making the principles of intuitive eating into a diet. And I have to be really careful. I'm actually curious about just your thoughts on this, as well as how you support your clients with this. But when a client's coming to me and saying like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? And just kind of asking the question like, Hey, I don't, I don't know. How do you know if you're like, what feels good to you? And, and really um, pivoting in, in that frame and that mindset. Um, How do you feel about all of that? Yeah, that's, that's exactly kind of what I do when I'm working with my clients, we, you know, we kind of start and I I do my, you know, my worksheets or whatever, just to see kind of where they are on their journey. And then I ask them, I do a lot of attunement work because that's just kind of the, the frame of reference that I come from anyway, being a therapist, being a yoga teacher, doing a lot of breath work. That is where I come from. So I ask them like, how, how does your body feel? You know, have you noticed some different things about your body while you're doing this? Yeah. Does it feel is it more stressful? And then we work through, you know, where does this anxiety come from? Is it because of diet culture? Is it because the messages that you're given about certain foods and labeling these foods good and bad and all those other things? Because that comes up too. Like that's a whole nother kind of cultural thing too. When it comes to foods is like this demonization of cultural foods. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I can eat greens. And I can eat kale. Like one is not better than the other. They are greens. Mm-hmm. I can have rice. Mm-hmm. I can have quinoa. I can, you know, it's like this demonization of these different foods. So saying like, okay, if I'm eating my rice, how does that feel? Does that feel different than it did before? Am I allowing myself to feel these feelings? Am I allowing all of the food so I'm not in that binge restrict cycle over and over and over again. And that's kind of what we process through. Yeah. Yeah. And that is one of the reasons why I'm such a big believer in getting support through this process, because it, it does, I mean, it's really easy, like we were saying to make this into a diet and it does really require that introspection and that objective feedback and that level of attunement that can be really powerful when you're working with somebody else to just take you there because it is 
when, when you're stepping into this work and you're breaking up with diet culture for the first time, asking yourself, well, how do I feel and how do I want to feel can just be totally overwhelming. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it, it was for me, it still is sometimes. And that's why I love, I love having my own support just with, um, with my own, within my own process and everything. But yeah, I, I appreciate you saying all of that. Um, Lisa, I, I'm curious how you have integrated intuitive eating into your therapy practice. So going through this process yourself, how did you begin to work in some of these concepts with clients that you were seeing? And then also how have you noticed diet culture impacting mental health? Yeah. So I have a lot of clients, like I mentioned before, that I see for anxiety and I was noticing more and more that people had food anxiety about what foods they should be eating or what foods they shouldn't be eating and how that impacted their, their body image. So when I started my intuitive eating journey and then went through this process, I wanted to kind of integrate. So who do you, who do you think this is? Where do you think this is coming from? How is this impacting you? And for a lot of my clients, I work on core beliefs. Um, meaning like I am powerless. I am helpless. I'm not good enough. Um, I'm bad. So a lot of those core beliefs come up when you start talking about food and diet culture, it's just there. It's ingrained in us. And you think, well, of course it is because we've been told over and over again that we're not good enough. We need to look this way. We need to be smaller. We need to be thinner. We need to have longer hair. We need to have this. We need to not wear this. We get all those messages. So of course, some of these core beliefs end up being, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. So we work a lot with those beliefs because if that core belief is still there, it's going to infiltrate everything that you're doing. And so we have to address those core beliefs in order for this to be fully addressed and reprocessed in order for you to find healing. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about the phrase, I am not good enough. Where do you think this comes from for most people? And, and how does it show up? In, like, what are some examples that you see with clients that you might be able to speak to just in case anybody is listening and, and thinking to themselves, well, I don't know if I struggle with that or not, because it, it can feel a little nuanced sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So when I say like, I'm not good enough, it's kind of those things where we feel like we're inadequate. And so where I get some of these core beliefs, I'm also certified in EMDR. So the work comes from EMDR and these core beliefs. And if it's, I'm not good enough, we want it to be like, I'm good enough. I'm good how I am, you know? And so those come from any kinds of things. You know, people have issues that may have started, you know, kind of how you asked me, like, when did you first notice, you know, there were differences in your body. Like those are rooted in like early childhood things for a lot of people, not everyone, but they're rooted there. So if you get these messages early enough in your life, they carry on with you because it was so impactful at that moment, you carry it from this period of life into the next, into the next. And it becomes one of those core beliefs that you've just had forever. And until we are able to really kind of process through that, it's really, really becomes a negative thing and impacts us. So I see that more and more with people and their food, body image, embodiment, and all of that. And that's really what I want to try to tackle um, when I'm working with people, because I think, I think you can get through this intuitive eating on your own if you wanted to. Um, There's plenty of resources out there. There's lots of people, lots of podcasts, lots of Instagram accounts. There's so many resources out there. But I think a lot of times it ends up being a little deeper than the food. More times than not, it's not just the food. Absolutely. You know, I say that all the time. Yeah. (laughs) It's never about the food. It's never just about our bodies or having a, a bad body image day. And I think that there's something really comforting in knowing that as well, too. I don't know how you feel about that. But when I started really understanding that for myself, anytime... I, I would find myself and hashtag human. Like I, I still have, you know, days where I don't 
love my body, but those, oh, yeah. are, <laughs> those are really great. Those are really great moments where I can say, okay, so this is my first thought. I don't, I'm not feeling comfortable in my body today, but what else is there? Like what, what else am I insecure about? Or what else am I, am I feeling that's really under that? Um, and uh, that's like, that piece that you have to have. And I tell my clients that all the time, like you might not love your body or the way you look every day. Like I definitely don't. And that is an ongoing process and practice. But if you're saying that, oh my goodness, my, this looks this way, how can we kind of reframe that into something more compassionate or some appreciation for your body? Mm-hmm. You know, you might not love every part of it today, but maybe we can find one piece that you appreciate that kind of carries you through to the next day. And we might do it the next day and the next day, you know, it's just something that's helping you get through these more challenging moments. Mm-hmm. What were some of your core beliefs that you uncovered when you were starting to heal your relationship with food? If you're open to sharing, um, but where did you, where did you really find yourself being challenged in terms of what you were just explaining these core beliefs that are formed about our bodies at a really young age and, and what were some of the things that came up for yourself? Yeah, mine is definitely, I'm not good enough. That has always been a theme for me. And I think a lot of therapists in general just have this like imposter syndrome thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's definitely there along with, I have to be in control. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that makes sense, especially from a disordered eating point of view when we, if, and I, I relate to that as well too. I think a lot of people listening will as well, but man, when you're not feeling in control, food is a really great thing that we think we can control in the moment, but it is, it is such a double-edged sword. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, that whole control, if I can't control this, like even for me and kind of like cultural things and race and social justice, even when I can't control what's going on or how the world sees me or sees me as not being good enough. And that's where mine comes from Mm. is the, I can control the food that I take in. I can control how much I work out. I can Mm -hmm. control which types of foods I allow myself to eat. I can control all those things. And that is what I was desperately longing for, and I still do want a a semblance of control, but that's how I was doing it. That's, that's so interesting. So let's pivot the conversation to, um, one of the things that you already mentioned that I think ties into exactly what you're saying right now. And I'd love to just ask you some more questions around this, but you mentioned really being able to identify with some of these podcast episode that Christy was sharing around black bodies and diet culture and just the oppressive roots of diet culture. So can you speak to that a little bit? What were some of the things that you were learning for the first time when you were listening to that and how have you expanded your, your knowledge around diet culture and oppression today? I mean, moving towards today, as well as this past year, especially, I'm just, yeah, I'm curious to know just what your experience has been in terms of recent diet culture. And then we can talk about just this past year as well, too. Yeah. Um, and I guess for me, like our country is, is built on oppression and racism. Like that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew those things, but I never associated it with diet culture. Like, because that was such a small sliver in my mind, like, that isn't, that's not really a big thing. But when I read anti-diet and her first couple of chapters are all about historical things, I was like, of course, of course it's rooted in racism. Of course it's rooted in anything that's not feminist. Mm -hmm. Of course it's rooted in those things of trying to oppress people. You know, I was just like, of course, of course. Why would I not think that this was something else that was was rooted in racism and oppression and then reading um fearing the black body sabrina mm-hmm. strings I don't yeah know if you've read it yeah. really she does an amazing job it is so much historical framework in there it's mind-blowing like it is like a, it's like a textbook when i got it, it. <laughs> i mean she is so thorough is. with her research and uh, yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll link all of this in the show notes for everybody who's wondering what we're, what we're talking about as well, too. So you have access, yeah. but yeah. Hey, 
this is a really good book, but be warned, it is like a history book. It is. So if you're if you're not into history and you're looking for something else, this is not the book for you, but I geeked out <laughs> when I was reading. I was like, oh my goodness, so many things that are in here and talking about, you know, archaic roots of like the BMI and all this. And I was like, wow, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Because the BMI, ugh, I'll just do that, <laughs> has yeah. always been this thing that is just, I've never thought it was right, ever. Even in all the things that I did, even when I was in diet culture, I was like, that thing's stupid. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Um, because when I was in quotes, like the fittest I've ever been, I was probably still overweight, mm-hmm. but I only had so much percent body fat, but I was still overweight. And I was like, there's something about that. That's not right. You're talking about muscle and fat. And I'm like, there's something that's not right about this. But just listening to her talk about how it even came to be, I was like, oh my goodness, how do people not know this? Well, it's the same way that people don't know about a lot of black culture, a lot of black history. It's been whitewashed so much and you don't tell these stories. So you you don't know. You've got the version that everyone wants to present and it doesn't involve some of these stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so interested in, in learning more about that from your point of view and you know in in two ways there's this there's just so many emotions that are coming up just in this point in our conversation right now at least for me and I I can kind of tell from you too where it's 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 maddening because you feel like or at least I did I felt like I was duped when I was hearing all this but I'm also I'm in a I'm in a white body so I don't have your lived experience with this so I can only I don't even know if I can use the word empathize. What is that something? Mm-hmm. That, can you educate me a little bit here? Like, I want to say like, I can empathize with you, but can I really like, is that an accurate term? I I'd love for you to just kind of share what you wish other people in this space who were a different gender, a different race, a, a different orientation, like what they wish you knew from your own lived experience because I will self-admit like I as much as I've researched as much as I've learned in this past year with the social justice movements um and Black Lives Matter and all these things I'm still super insecure about having conversations like this and I'm sure that some of my perfectionism showing up um a lot of people who listen to this know I'm just like constantly recovering from perfectionism. <laughs> and so, but at the same time, like I, I want to be educated and really understand what you wish my role would be in, in this space, in the intuitive eating space, in the non-diet space as a white woman. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily think you, and this is my experience, my experience only, have to empathize, but I think it's really cool when you can say, I just, I have no idea. Mm. Simply saying that helps me to know that you're really thinking and noticing I'm in a completely different body. I might be a different socioeconomic status. Like I don't get it. I cannot fully understand or comprehend what you've been through because I haven't lived your experience. That's okay. Like, it's okay to say that. Like, I have no idea. I much prefer that personally mm-hmm. than somebody, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. You must fit. No, no, I don't want you to tell me how I must feel. Mm-hmm. And that's allowing my voice and other black voices to be amplified instead of telling me what I should be feeling right now. That's one thing that I think is really important and, and continuing to amplify those. And I know there's, there's some that are, you know, more open and up and coming, especially in intuitive eating. But like just amplifying those voices and listening to what they have to say because their perspective is is different. Um, and even in intuitive eating, like it's a lot of thin white bodies that are within there. So that, that's a different experience as well. I don't have the same experience as you do, but I think that's what makes everything about this so awesome is like everybody has a different experience and everybody has different layers that impact their intuitive eating journey, that impact their life. And those are all valid. And just remembering that. Mm. 
Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. I really hear that. And that really hits home for me. And um, it it's something that I'm going to continue to be more intentional about and more thoughtful about as I continue to do this work. And, um, it, you know, it's funny. I, I'm just kind of sitting here thinking like, I think it's pretty... I think I find safety in saying that I can empathize with somebody because I'm such an empathetic person. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do that almost as a default, but I really hear you when you're saying that's not what you need to hear in that moment. You need me to just hold space for you, or that's what your, that's what your desire really is. Is, is am I hearing you correctly? Yeah. And yeah. then the- that can be different for the people that you interact with, you know, other black people that you, you may interact with. You can ask them like, is there something that you need from me right now? And it, and it might not always get an answer and it might not be the right time to ask that, you know, given the circumstance, but you can start that way and say like, you know, I'm here and I'm listening and I'm open and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do the work that needs to be done to amplify voices like yours and, and just having a different interaction with this whole kind of process and social justice and all these things that are going on that I may not have even realized, you know, last year or two years ago or when, whenever, because it, it wasn't in the forefront of my mind. So I didn't have to notice it, but now I'm here, I'm open, I'm willing, and I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what can we do to amplify black voices right now, especially in the intuitive eating space? Like what are some areas that are really tangible that we can, that we can actually like for anybody who's listening and also for myself that we can almost take note on and put into practice if, if we're feeling like it as we move forward in this conversation or after this conversation. Read the books. If there are books about black bodies, If, you know, there are Instagram posts or people on Instagram, follow them. Like it seems super simple, but do that and have those conversations. But also don't generalize one conversation that you've had with one black person to the next conversation with another black person. Mm -hmm. They're not the same. Mm -hmm. None of us are the same. So just be open to you to getting potentially different messages from different people on any given day, but still being open to the information that you're gaining from them. But yes, read the books. Like, like I said, Sabrina Strings, that's one. And I think um, Fat Girls and Black Bodies, mm-hmm. I think that's a book. Um, I've read that a lot. I always get the fat and black mixed up. I don't know which one comes first, mm-hmm. but read books, like, you know, just read those books to get a different perspective on how this experience might look for someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thank you, Lisa, for saying all that. It, I told Lisa, for everybody who's listening, I said before we start, we hit recording that if the conversation went this way, I wanted to just have like a really vulnerable chat because there are so many things that I'm just like, oh gosh, this is, I, I want to be here. Like my, I'm also a highly sensitive person. And so I, I'm feeling so much. And at the same time, I have like, like you just saying, I have no idea what your experience is like, because it's just to your point, like I can't empathize with it. I can only listen. Um, so I really appreciate you just educating me and saying all of this. Yeah. I'm, also, I'm also curious about Instagram because you keep bringing it up. And also from a, <laughs> from a mental health perspective, I have so many questions around Instagram. I also am trying to navigate my own um just like my own relationship with social media right now. And I've kind of ebbed and flowed with it over the past few years, but especially this past year with the pandemic and just everybody being online and as a highly sensitive person, it's just been a little overwhelming. And at the same time, I I know there's so much power in it as well too. So what's your view on, we'll just, we'll zone into Instagram, but just social media in general from a mental health perspective. I think it is a great source of information, but not a substitute for an actual therapist. Mm -hmm. Because I think, and there's lots of like TikTok stuff going on in Clubhouse. And I think those are cool supplements, but I don't want people to take that as 
actually go into therapy. Like good supplemental things, wonderful. I love that you can get so much information and little snippets of things. I think that's great. And you can, and you can use all that stuff. Doesn't hurt to go to an actual therapist though and work on some of that deep rooted stuff. Um, just to make sure that things are, are going well with you and you're implementing these things the way that's going to best serve you. Um, so, but yeah, I keep saying Instagram because that's the only thing that I'm like really on. I'm not yeah. on like TikTok. I don't do any of the other things. So I'm on Instagram. So that's where I see all my people. Um, and that's where I get some of my kind of inspiration in the intuitive eating world. So yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yes. Can I share my thoughts too? So we can kind of just like jam on this because... <laughs> Okay. So I'm, I'm in this place right now where I, I see Instagram and this is, <laughs> the, I know this is a very black and white perspective, um, which is something that I continuously try to um, work with my clients around as well as just myself um, in my own process too. But on one hand, I do think that social media and Instagram is exactly like you're saying, there's so much valuable information on this platform and just from a mental health perspective, from a social justice perspective, from a history, a historical perspective, like I am constantly blown away by some of these accounts that are coming out and the information that they're sharing. It's just, it's crazy. There's so much to be learned, but at the same time, I also feel like it is just a black hole for comparison and just feeling fatigued around all of this information and just the, uh, the marketing that comes up and the ads and just the diet culture that's constantly on there, whether it's from an influencer or a doctor or your best friend. Um, I think that it requires really strong boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think that a lot of people know how to set boundaries around it. And so I, I'm just, that's kind of where I'm coming from. And I, I don't have an answer. This is just literally how I'm feeling today and how I've been feeling over the last couple of months too. And just trying to navigate. Um, yeah, like I, I can only speak for myself and, and how I use it in my everyday life, but, um, just from a mental health perspective, like I, I think it's something that we need to be really sensitive to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I say people need to change up their feed. If they're like, Hey, I want to do something a little different. I'm doing intuitive eating now, because if you do have those before and afters, guess what you're going to get most, more of those before and afters. Every time you touch on it, that cute little algorithm is going to pick up on that and you're going to get flooded with even more. So if that's not something that you're wanting to see, change it up, mm-hmm. change up the, the, the bodies that you're looking at, like whether it's like ethnicity gender, body size, whatever, change those things up. And then you're going to get more of those, but it is definitely, as you said, it can be a place for comparison easily because you're getting most people's highlight reel. Mm -hmm. You're not getting that. No, it was hard for me to like eat today. It was very difficult for me to get out of the bed. I was paralyzed with anxiety more times than not. You're not getting that. You're getting all the highlights and awesomeness that people have to offer on social media. So it's, it's really important to, to know that and understand that and then not compare mm-hmm. and just notice I'm doing what I'm doing for me and they can do what they're doing, but it's not competition. I'm not in competition with anyone and that's fine. Yeah. I just don't think there's a lot of accounts that are preaching that. I know that you are, and I really try to as, as well too. Um, but I think for the most part, like the message of, Hey, we're on here, but let's not compare. is not something that's emphasized <laughs> over and over and over again, you know? Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. <laughs> oh my goodness. So one thing that I, I do want to ask you about that I meant to ask you earlier, and it's just coming to my mind that you had said earlier in the conversation, is it okay if I backtrack a little bit? Yeah. Um, so when you were mentioning your intuitive eating process and recognizing that there were some relationships that you just needed to distance yourself from and then reintegrating and telling people that you're doing intuitive eating and just the confusion coming up and all these things. One of the things that I talk a lot about with clients is boundary setting around, um, around conversations related to body comments or food comments and food policing and all of these things. So how did you, uh, 
how did you do that for yourself? And as a therapist, for anybody who's listening, who's just like, whoa, that triggers me so much. Like I hate setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are some practical entry points for anybody to start doing that without feeling triggered out of their mind? Like, can you give some examples? Let me think. I really think it's going to come from a place of taking care of yourself. And a lot of people might be taking care of other people. Like, well, I want to be nice to them. I want to make sure that they're taken care of. I think it's time to kind of reflect and think about yourself for once. And I don't know how often people do that or how, you know, outlandish that may seem. But if you come from a place of like self-care and your own personal healing, I think that ends up being slightly less challenging, still a challenge because there's boundaries and you're doing things differently that people might not be accustomed to, um, but you're wanting to do things differently. So letting people know like, Hey, I'd really appreciate it. If you didn't, you know, kind of comment on my body or what I'm eating, I I want you to do what works for you, but I'm also doing what works for me. Um, Just a really kind way. Cause again, I say it's, it's really tricky because it can become just as defensive as diet culture is and a lot of pushback. So just kind of opening it up, softening the blow almost like, Hey, you're doing what you're doing, but I'm doing this. So I'd really appreciate it. If you did not say these type of things about me, I'm on a different journey right now. And that's fine. And hopefully if these people are your friends or they're your family or they love you, they can respect this decision as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is such a powerful point, setting a boundary from a place of self-care rather than um, rather than doing or feeling like you're taking on this task or performing anyway, really just setting that boundary from a compassionate, kind place and, and really that self-love piece that you're speaking about. It's, it, it's a mindset shift, right? But it's so powerful when we can do that. It takes practice, but I, I love that you said that. Yeah. And that's what you have to learn to do with intuitive eating, because that is a process in itself. So that compassion, like, you know what I did this, this day and I didn't really listen to my body this day. Okay. Well, let we'll just do what we can do and we can have some self-compassion knowing that this whole thing, this journey in itself is a process. So I love the compassion piece. And I, I do a lot of work with my clients about self-compassion and, and doing things from a non-judgmental stance, which is so very challenging. Mm-hmm challenging, especially when it comes to the body work that I do, because so many of my clients, when they start this journey, their bodies change and they're not used to that. And they immediately kind of want to go back to that place of comfort, which unfortunately is diet culture. Like, well, let me just do this again. If I just take out bread, I should be fine. Mm -hmm. If I just remove this, if I just eliminate this, I should be fine. So walking them through that process, but also when their bodies change, they do a lot of body checking. Mm-hmm. And saying, like, oh, this is bigger or oh, this is smaller. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is moving this way. And practicing that compassion and also that appreciation, like we talked about before, like, okay, I'm not loving my arms today, but I can appreciate that they helped me pick up my baby today. They helped me play with my dog. You know, just noticing those kinds of things is, is a really big mind shift. And so adding that self compassion and that non judgmental stance can really be life-changing in the process of food freedom and intuitive eating as well. Yes, I, I totally agree. And it is an ongoing practice. Like you said, it's, it's so challenging because that inner critic, man, she can be super loud. She's a bossy bitch. She is a bossy bitch. Totally. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I have absolutely loved this conversation, but you're, you're awesome. And I want to come hang out and, um, eat barbecue food. It, is there really good barbecue food in Kentucky? Barbecue, but I am actually a donut connoisseur. Um, so yeah, like I legit love donuts. So I'm basically a donut connoisseur everywhere we go. I find donuts and I like them. Um, um so awesome. You can come and have donuts here. You can have barbecue. You can have, Louisville's actually like a foodie town. So there's all kinds of food here. It's really, really awesome. So yes, anytime you're kind of ish in the area, swing on (laughs) through.
<laughs> cool. Thank you. And Lisa, where can everybody find you if they want to connect, just hang out with you or potentially work with you? Can you, can you share? Yeah, absolutely. My um, practice is called Intentional Connections Counseling, and it's just intentionalconnectionscounseling.com. And I'm on Instagram as intentional underscore connections. Those are the only places you can find me. I'm a simpleton. So that's it. I love it. (laughs) Keep it simple. I'm all about the simple life. And I love the name of your company too. It's, it's so great. It's pretty intentional. I will tell you that much. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, we'll have to have you have to have you back on again at another time too. I know that there's just so many other things we could dive into, but thank you for your time and just your truth and everything that you shared today. Thanks so much for this space. I really enjoyed it. That's our show. Thank you to our producer, Stephanie Olea, our show manager, Shayla Anderson, and our incredible guest. If you want to stay connected and learn more about our guest today, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend or leave a review so that we can continue to destigmatize these important conversations around our relationship with food and body and spread inspiration to more women. One last thing, please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of each new episode every week. I'm sending you so much love, confidence, and strength. Talk to you soon.